Wisps, it's the, it's really, it's not just the ending. I mean, I would say the final track of the game because it is kind of like my goodbye to, to Ori and the Will of the Wisps, but it's really actually the last, I would say tw- it, it takes about 20 to 30 minutes to finish the, the end game of Ori 2. Basically, the end sequence, it opens up with a cutscene, transitions seamlessly into a multi-phase boss fight. The boss fight has you know, an initial combat phase, then a small chase sequence, and then a final combat phase. So that's like three pieces of music there that are all connected, but that's also followed on from that initial cutscene. Then the boss fight finishes, and that transitions seamlessly into the ending cutscenes, which is three cutscenes back to back, and they're all seamless too. So you can, in theory, play the ending of the game and it should function as a continuous piece of music with all of the ebbs and flows. And I would say that whereas Ori and the Blind Forest had lots of peaks and valleys throughout the game, Ori and the Will of the Wisps does have those peaks and valleys too, but it all is an aid of making sure that the ending hits as it should. Like the ending is the, the highest peak and the lowest valley across any of the two games, especially if you played both of them. I wouldn't say it's a slow burn, but it is kind of like, if you think about like a, a TV series, where sometimes TV series have like dramatic episodes from like littered throughout, and then some kind of just save it all for the end. I think Breaking Bad is a good example of that. Like Breaking Bad was the classic like slow burn. It, Will of the Wisps definitely like explodes right for that final end sequence. And I think... That's what I'm most proud of because it's like I have to take all of the new stuff in Ori 2 and then combine it with themes that were, you know, established a long time ago in Ori 1 and bring it all together and somehow wrap it up in this last like 20 to 30 minutes. The final piece on the soundtrack, Ori Embracing the Light, it's funny because I've been asked a few times, you know, wasn't that a difficult scene to write because it's the ending? And I'm like, actually, it, it wasn't. It was one of the easier ones to do because most of the themes were already done and I kind of knew what I wanted to put in the scene. It was really just about making sure that there was time for everything to play out. But that was fun because I get to play Nauru's theme, I get to play Ku's theme, I get to play Ori's theme, and then the way it ends is kind of a throwback to the to the first game as well. So just being able to to wrap everything up and I've now, you know, I've now seen the videos on on Twitch and YouTube, so I, I kind of know that we executed it properly. But probably just the ending sequence of the game is um, you know, the the one I really wanted to focus on capturing the right feel and emotion. I think we did that. In terms of the creative process behind making this track, how far into the development of the game did you include the creation of this music? So I like to leave the ending as late as possible because there's so many decisions that go into the that piece that plays during the end that are informed by what's come before. I just don't think... I could write an early piece of the ending music but I'm 99% sure it'll just get replaced. Like, let's say I wrote the ending in 2018. I'd probably write a completely different version in 2019. I knew what was going to happen at the end, but then when I saw how it played out, I'm like, okay, I think I know what I'm going to do here, but I need to write a bit more of the the rest of the score first before I do my, my first draft. But actually, what's in the ending of the game is pretty much version one with a couple of tweaks. Like, conceptually, it, it's there. But I think the reason that it works is because it has been informed by everything that comes before. The creative process at Moon is highly, highly iterative and collaborative. It's We're not all working in our ivory towers, putting the music together or the art together and then hoping it 
hoping it all works at the end. We really do spend a lot of time talking and discussing what's the, you know, what's the best solution for, for a scene. And then, and then we just put it in and we all watch it and we're like, you know, did, did it move us? Does this feel right? And we're like, nah, if we just move, move a few things around and, and tweak things, then we, can, then we can make it better. But the process for the ending is really no different to the process for the very opening of the game. It really is just highly collaborative approach. I would just say that with the ending, it's, it's just a case of leaving it as late as possible, but also making sure that it's not too late because everything has to be recorded as well. The development on on Will of the Wisps, we were making some changes until pretty late in development. I don't think that's really a, a secret anymore, like because because uh, we, you know, the, the game got delayed a couple of times, and uh, you know, we were we just wanted to make the best possible game. I recorded the ending in January of this year, and we shipped the game in March. So that gives you an idea of like how late we were able to leave things. So fortunately, we could we could make it work and and get it into the game. So. Not every studio give you that luxury. I've worked on other games where the music has to be done like pretty much five to six months before release because there's optimization and it's just, a, it's a bit more regimented. It's absolutely fine. I, I don't mind working like that, but with, with the more free form nature of Moon Studios, it allows for things to be left a little later, which, you know, can get your heart racing a few times, but it resulted in a good game and that's really all that matters. The main theme of Ori and the Will of the Wisps is stunning. It's, re it's really good. Can you walk us through the full process behind making a track like this? The melody is really a carryover from the first game, obviously, but the arrangement is different. I didn't really focus on writing, oh my goodness, what's the main menu music going to be? Because I feel like if you, as a composer, if you're like, I'm going to write a piece of music that will resonate with everyone, as soon as you start thinking that, it doesn't happen it's kind of got to happen by accident. Like, yeah, and then you're like, oh, that's a, that's a nice idea there. That's actually how the original theme for Blind Forest got conceived. I'd written a sketch and thrown it on to the team's Dropbox and I'd really forgotten about it. And then someone was rooting around and was like, hey, this theme is pretty good. Why don't you develop it? I'm like, oh, okay. And then we developed it and then it became the main theme for the game. Now with this, uh, with the main menu theme in, in this game, I remember it was for a scene from shortly after you enter the silent woodlands this scene has a musical idea in it that i thought was like oh that's actually pretty cool because it could work in the main menu and the track is called it i think it's literally just called the silent woodlands on the soundtrack it's a repeated idea that is played on harp and celeste and mandolin and i was like it's that opening plink plunk sound that you hear in the main the main menu theme i'm like hmm that would be a cool intro to the main menu what would happen if I put the actual main theme on top? And I'm like, oh, well, there it is, done. And then I was just like, honestly, the main menu is literally that, and then it's just a soft vocal. And I'm like, my, my philosophy with main menu themes, if the melody is decent and people like it, repeat it. So you get the soft version of it, and then I'm just like, well, let's just play it again and make the orchestration slightly bigger. So there's, the second time around you hear it, you hear it with strings, it's a little bit more lush. I'm like, great, that's the main menu theme done. I would say, honestly, I, I don't want to cheapen my, <laughs> cheapen how it sounds, but I would say I only spent maybe three to four hours on the main menu theme. Um, wow. But it was informed by another piece of music that I'd spent considerably longer on. So, mm. so it's, it's again, it's one of those happy accidents that one idea in one piece can spawn an idea somewhere else in the score. This one happened to be the, the main menu. And then that got put into the game. The team looked at it and was like, yep, we have our menu piece, uh, move on. 
move on to the rest of the three hours of music that you need to yeah. write. <laughs> Speaking of the rest of the music, how does that creative process differ when creating like some of the other tracks? Like for example, Ku's First Flight. All of the music for the prologue existed in one form up until October last year. And then in October, I decided that it wasn't very good. And this was two months before we were doing our first batch of recordings in December. So we had, we had one set of recordings in December and one in January. I, I had a problem with the prologue. The prologue wasn't really hitting and it's because Ku's melody actually just wasn't very good. Not the version you hear in game now, but the prior version people haven't heard and will never hear. Um, so, so I was like, okay, we need to find a, a melody that works better and that can act as a through line for any of Ku's scenes in the game. And I looked through the score and I was like, surely I've written something already. There's got to be something in the soundtrack that might be good. Because in October, by October last year, I'd written about 75% of the soundtrack. And the track that ended up being the origin for Ku's theme was actually a piece of gameplay music that had existed in the game for like two years. It was actually one of the first pieces of gameplay music I'd written. The track on the soundtrack is called Separated by the Storm. In that track, there's a very strong melody on the English horn that plays. Um, it starts about 40 seconds in, I think. So basically, Ori and Ku go on a flight together and they get separated. And the opening of the game is simply Ori has to find Ku. And so the track separated by the storm, that's the first thing that he plays after they've been separated. And I was like, well, the melody that's here is kind of sad and wistful. And that's probably what Ori would be feeling because he's just lost his friend, Ku, the, the owl. And I was like, well, we've got this theme and it plays in a minor key. Well, given that the feel of the opening of the prologue is generally happy, what would happen if we took this theme and made it more upbeat and happy? And I did that and I was like, my problems are all solved. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's interesting. And, and then it provided more continuity into the next scene because you've got Ku's theme playing throughout the prologue and then we're using it again in the Separated by the Storm piece, which is the first piece of gameplay music that you hear. And I'm like, well, great. Now any other scene with Ku, I can just use this melody and we have a through line with Ku. I was like, that, just that melody, which had existed for two years, I'm glad I discovered it when I did because I'm like, it just solved all of the problems with the music. It's not that the music in the prologue's previous version was bad, it just didn't have any real connectivity and then this i was just like well we're just gonna put the steam everywhere all over the prologue and then i was like okay we're done we're doing any music for a game you've got to accept that things are going to fail from time to time and and moon one of the nice things about working for moon studios is that they really do i'm not gonna say encourage you to fail but they they, they say the failure is is okay like if an idea doesn't work it's fine just Often when an idea doesn't work, it can help you figure out what will work mm. eventually. I, I often try to, when I'm working with, with various clients, I'm like, don't tell me, I'm often like, especially early on in the process, don't necessarily tell me what you like, also tell me what you don't like, because that can help, it can just remove things from the equation that I'll then never consider during the rest of the game. And that, that's often really helpful. This was obviously a very late removal process, but it still, it still helped. And that kind of thing is what we're doing across the game, that decision-making process. I've explained it for the ending and, and for the prologue now, so you've kind of got a bit of coverage on that, I think. Yeah. So. Did their freeform type of management change between the first story game to the next? Nope. The, that, and that's one thing I'm really happy with. Like the, one of the 
things with Moon is that they, they encourage all of the, you know, the teams, uh, the people in the team to, to talk to each other and, and collab, not just collaborate within the audio department, but like talk. I, I don't really have a need to talk too much to the, to the, the technical team, but I do have a need to talk to the animation and art team because what they're doing is informing a lot of what I do. But also, I mean, I, I'll, I'll just give one very simple example in the, in the gameplay. There's, there's, a, there's a section in the game called the Ancient Wellspring and there was one part where I just felt like there was too much combat. And I was like, it's just prevent, it felt like a roadblock. And I just simply made the suggestion. I was like, hey, can we remove these two enemies here? Because they just kind of get in the way. And the design team was like, yeah, it's no big deal. Let's just remove them. And I, it's, it's that kind of like small thing. I don't think you'd always get as part of another developer because they'd be like, you know, stay in your lane. You're the composer, like shouldn't be giving feedback on the on the gameplay and or, or design of the game. But, but I did get to give feedback. And on the surface it might seem like it was probably a very small thing to the design team but for me it helps the overall flow of that scene because flow does affect like music and 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 how it's paced and it's it's like those kinds of little things that can really help across the game like it might make 0.1 percent difference to the game but when you have like a thousand of those things that make 0.1 difference it really adds up and Moon does a really good job of making sure that everyone is invested in the game's well-being. That's what we're encouraged to give feedback. And the way I write is I record myself playing the game and with the sound effects, but with no music. And I bring that into my music software and I write, I literally write to what I've just been recorded. So I already have a connection with the material because it's literally me playing. And then I just write until something feels good. And I think... That's, that's one of the things that why the music feels so connected to the experiences because I, I'm literally writing to the footage the whole time and then I'm putting it into the game and then testing it in game as well. Literally everyone who works on the game is, is testing so, so frequently. And I think that's one of the nice things. We, we, towards the end, we had weekends where we would just all play the game at the same time and we would just all bring up things that we thought were problems. And there's obviously certain issues that everyone had. And anytime there was an issue that everyone had, it got resolved immediately. So that, that kind of collaboration is, is really refreshing where it's just very open and I think it can be difficult for people who are coming into the team and who are new because they're like, wow, there's really like no filter here. But once you get used to it, the no filter, it helps because it just allows you to make progress much more quickly. Well, that's interesting because, yeah, I've talked to a few other composers and no one's had that same. It's, it's unusual. I don't, I don't think you can really do it like that kind of, the team was 70 people and, you know, doing it in a team of 500 where everyone's, it's just not going to work. But the way Moon is set up, and we've been doing the remote setup since 2012. So the way we're set up is, you know, we kind of have to talk to each other all the time because otherwise everyone's just operating in a vacuum because we're not in a shared space. So that open line of dialogue to everyone is what enables this to work. And I, I will say that Moon is also pretty good at hiring people that can work within this kind of workflow because there are some people who do need to be in an office and who do kind of need a more regimented structure to their work day and that's absolutely fine like I, t I totally understand that but if you're coming to work for moon you kind of need to be self-sufficient work autonomously and you need to be a problem seeker as much as a problem solver go look for the things that you feel are wrong and then bring them up the upside of that is that it can be very very empowering for, for anyone who's working on the game because they, they really feel like their voice matters
The unique thing about the Ori games is that the story is told a lot more through the visuals and the music over traditional dialogue-driven cinematics. Do you keep this in mind when you're writing your compositions? Absolutely. I mean, it's 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 one of the it's it's a gift for a composer because it's basically me and the animation, and we got to do a, a lot of the heavy lifting to make sure that every scene conveys what needs to be conveyed. Of course, the the reverse of that is it's it's a lot of pressure, and it's like if the music doesn't deliver, then I'm I'm going to get called out on it. In order to to get those moments to hit the way we want them to hit, it's a little bit unconventional. The the way most cutscenes are handled is the composer will often just get a locked video and we have to write to that locked video no matter what. So we have to figure out all the timings and do the math and make sure things fall as they should. But with Ori, I'll get the storyboards and I usually write to the storyboards. But the great thing about storyboards, you can kind of tweak the timings of them. And so it allows me to write a piece of music that feels well paced to me. It's not conforming to a locked picture. Now, once I've done my draft, then it goes back to the animation team and they're like, okay, that we kind of get the overall flow of the music. Now we'll animate to that. And that's often why things feel so in sync in our cutscenes. It's because there's a, there's a constant back and forth dialogue and I'm not restricted by what they're doing in terms of timing. And when you're writing without restrictions, but still trying to put the right emotion into the scene, it gives me space to make things breathe and ebb and flow a bit more. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm quite capable of writing to things that are hard locked with the time. But working this way, it's more collaborative and it often results in a much more tightly synced result. So that's just with the cutscenes and with the gameplay, it's kind of the same thing. That's more of a collaboration with the sound effects team. Because while there is no dialogue, there are a lot of sound effects. And if you think about our cutscenes and the boss fights, they can get quite intense. If we take the spider boss fight from Will of the Wisps, one of the things I wanted to do was not just have epic music the whole time. I was like, the boss fights in Ori have multiple phases, including the, the spider fight. There's the intro, then there's the opening combat phase, then there's the transitional chase sequence, then there's the final combat phase, and then there's the outro. And I'm like, well, let's tell a story during this. Like the intro is going to be your typical creepy spider, terrifying moment. And then the first combat phase is like, oh my God, I've got a giant spider attacking me. The music more takes the point of view of the spider rather than Ori. Or it's, it's, if it takes a point of view, it's the terror that Ori has fighting it. Then we have the chase scene, which is more like a typical chase scene music. But then the, the, the key is the switch in the third phase of the fight, the, the, the final combat phase. I'm like, well, Ori's winning now because that switch does not happen until you have the spider down to 50% of its health. And I'm like, well, the player knows that they're winning. So the music should reflect that the player knows that they're winning. So let's make it more optimistic. And then the music calls back to the more optimistic music in the first game and plays that, but it's combined with the spider's theme. And that gives that a bit more emotional wait and i'm vindicated on this because i've seen the comments on youtube that have actually picked up on this which makes me really happy it just makes the fight more dynamic and interesting and it's an aspect of visual storytelling because you know we're seeing all this stuff with the spider but the music is telling us that there's still a journey within the fight with the spider itself and that's something that occurs in the other boss fights too like i said it's a real gift to be able to work on scenes like that because like like i said there is no dialogue and it's a chance to I don't want to say show off what one can do musically, but it's like there are places where the music does need to be amped up because there's, there's literally nothing else there. So it's like, well, I can, I can really dial it up to, 
11 here. Mm. The nice thing about that is, is often following a big dramatic moment, the game is so nicely paced that then there'll be a moment of quiet and then I can bring it really right down and then you know, we can actually just hear the sound effects. After the boss fight with the spider, there's, uh, there's some dialogue and I'm like, okay, well, music doesn't need to do much here. And actually it would have less weight if music was doing a lot anyway, because we've just heard like 10, 15, 20 minutes, however long you're fighting the spider. You just had 20 minutes of like epic fight music. Well, now I can bring it right down. That makes the music more dynamic because there's a larger scale. Like the loudest louds in Ori are really loud but the softest softs are really soft. And that range is what helps keep the player, or it's one of the things that keeps the player immersed. There's many mm. things, obviously. How do you yes. personally believe video game soundtracks can affect a player's emotion? It's always a, a tricky one because there's obviously the base level of like, you can enhance, like I've just described, like in the, in the spider fight, you can obviously enhance that. But I think, I think there's something a little bit deeper and it does depend on the game, of course. You're not really going to get a huge emotional response from playing like a typical driving game, although you do get that adrenaline rush. But in the terms of a narrative story like Ori, I think one of the things I'm careful of is my music tends to be heavy, like when I need it to be emotional. I'd like to think that it's not telling you exactly how to feel, more it's opening up a pathway in order for you to feel what you think you should be feeling. Because we've got a lot of different characters in Will of the Wisps, and some players are going to relate to them differently than, than others. And if we look back at the first game, there's Ori, and then there's the parent figure, Naru. Now everyone, on this planet has a different kind of relationship with their parents. None of my business to, to suggest what that is, but some people are going to connect with that in a different way than others. And so the music that I'm writing, is not like you must feel happy or you must feel sad. It's a gateway drug to, to open up whatever pathways need to be activated in order for you to feel what you're going to be feeling. One of the things I think is really important when you're playing a game is to have the right environment to be playing in. Like, don't play Ori, if you've got kids, don't play Ori when your kids are running around the house. Like, it's just not going to be the same experience. One of my favorite experiences is uh, Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice. It's an amazing game. But that game is going to suck if you're playing it during the day. It just is. It's just not going to be the same. You, you need to be playing that in a dark room. It needs to be quiet so you can really focus on being immersed. And I think Ori's the same. And that helps you get more immersed with the game. And it allows the music to do what it's supposed to be doing. And it's not just the music. It's the sound. It's the visuals. It's the pacing. In terms of how it can affect the player, I think the best game experiences not only deliver the emotion of what's happening on the screen, it, they also are relatable. And I think that's something that we, we did very well in Ori, even though the characters are, you know, in the case of Nara, a fluffy forest creature, <laughs> Ori, a spirit fox, I think everyone can see a certain person it, who they might know in one of these characters. And I think that's like, when we have characters that are actually relatable, that's what the best games are made out of. Obviously we have the games where it's just like a complete fantasy power trip and that's, that's just fun. I mean, that's totally okay. And then you've got game music enhancing that power trip, which is, you know, that, that's like one way of approaching it. But for a game like Ori, we're trying to find something that's deeper and more relatable. And the music for that, it, it's, it's not just enhancing on the screen, it's enhancing that deeper connection between the character and the player. I think that was a pretty good answer. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts about your job as a composer? Like maybe something that the non-composer person wouldn't know or just anything that you want to say? 
I think one thing that's become clear to me is I've been working in games for a reasonable amount of time now. And it's always amusing to me. I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter and there's a lot of commentary online. And one thing that's become very clear to me in the last six to 12 months is that a lot of people have no idea how games are made. I remember when we were recording in December and January, they're like, wow, they must be really behind recording the music in December and January. I'm like, no, this has been planned for a long time. Like, that's just how we did it on this game. And I think every single game has a different development team, a different philosophy to development, a different approach to like how they make their game better. And this was just how it worked for Moon. Like, we left it as late as possible, but I knew with the way that I work that like from getting the music to final recording to getting it into the game was going to be a very quick process. Fortunately, I had great collaborators on the implementation side to, to help me with that. They had, you know, they had a lot to implement in a fairly short space of time. But because it had all been mocked up virtually, we had everything stubbed into the game before the recording. So th there were a few obviously late tracks that got put in towards you know, the very end. But music was stubbed in for a long time in the game. So the, the act of recording is literally, we just record the music, get it mixed, and then... It's literally a file swap. It's really like not that complicated. There's a couple of other technical things that need to be done, but it is not a complicated process. The complicated process is actually making sure that the music plays at the right time in the game. My goodness, that is so hard. Like I remember when we were doing early versions of the game, just getting early music in and our music system wasn't working like as we wanted it to. And I remember we put out a build of the game and during the spider fight, music from the prologue played. And I'm like, how, how does that even happen, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, it, I'm sure it was just some weird bug or something, but like, but music from the pro, I think it was Ku's first flight that played during, during the spider fight. I mean, can you imagine how weird that would be? It's an easy fix, obviously, but you're just like, wow, like things can change a, a lot, like with just one miscellaneous line of code or something. A lot of the music was in place quite a long time before the recording. It just interested me that like people like, oh, that's very late to be recording music. I'm like, so uh, it's we still got it in the game, right? Like it's right now we're in a very difficult time with COVID and game development. It's it's really hard to develop games. It's, for Moon, I would say it's less difficult because we've been working like this since the beginning. But for those studios which you know have transitioned from you know being in an office to working from home. I'm sure they have adapted now. There was definitely, I'm, I'm sure there was a one to two month adjustment period where people are getting used to what I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's just not for the game industry. I'm sure it's like across all industries which were office based. I guess I would say I'm reassured that people have been relatively understanding that things have been difficult because, you know, there have been a lot of delays. I mean, Ori got delayed two or three times and we weren't affected by the pandemic. So it's, it's just things that happen. I think people ultimately just want to see great see and experience great games rather than things be rushed out the door and i think there's been a shift in philosophy in the last two to three years i think we're seeing less games get pushed out the door now i think people are realizing if you release a quality game a lot of people are going to buy it so that's kind of a, a thing that i'm enjoying seeing and, and and really we're on the verge of a new dawn with the new consoles I'm just very excited to see what's around the corner because I feel like in the last two or three years, there have been some absolutely extraordinary game experiences. And I have an inkling of what's coming around the corner because I'm working on stuff that isn't going to be out for you know three to four years from now. And I'm just like, wow, it's, it's just amazing to be part of an industry which is like 
still just getting into its stride, really. I, I always like to compare the, the game industry to a, a kind of a precocious teenager. It's doing some really good stuff, but hasn't figured everything out yet. I think the golden age is still yet to come. We might be on the verge, but if you think like what we're getting now, in terms of all the great games is good, I think we're on the verge of like doing even better than what we have now, which is, just, I'm just very happy to be a part of it. That's all of the interview questions. Uh, do you have anything that you want to promote or plug? Uh, I don't right now, but I will say that if you want to ask me a question or get in touch, uh, the place I'm most active is Twitter. It's just my first and last name, Gareth Coker. Most people don't realize this, but I'm more likely to respond to you on Twitter than anywhere else. Because, And I've, if you look through my post history, I've answered some really specific questions on Twitter, including with musical score excerpts and stuff like that. Like I've literally put notation onto Twitter, like screenshots and stuff like that. So if you have a detailed question, I'm, that's the place I'm more likely to answer than anywhere else because I can usually give a brief answer in the 320 characters or whatever it is. And mm. uh, yeah, that's where, I'm, that's where I'm most active. And also it's honestly where I post everything that I'm, I'm working on. I have a lot of stuff in the pipeline. I can't talk about it just yet. Obviously the most recent one was uh, my involvement with Halo, but there's, there's also some other stuff coming too, which is pretty exciting. But yeah, that's, that's the place to follow me at uh, to get the, the latest and greatest. I am very much looking forward to your music on Halo. I'm a huge Halo fan. And when I heard that, you were doing the music on I was like oh like yeah good pick <laughs> well thank you yeah it's uh yeah I'm looking forward to seeing what the the public make of it obviously it's been delayed but like we just said a delayed game is usually it usually ends up being for the better so yeah we'll we'll be sharing more on the music and the game like you know in the in the coming months I'm sure in the meantime 343 and the rest of us just had to knuckle down and get it finished thank you so much doing this you've been a really great interviewee like oh no problem <laughs> great answers so <laughs> thank you